Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Conversations, they're like the water in which fish swim, always going on, and we're usually not conscious of them, even though we're the ones speaking. But those words have a powerful neurophysiological effect on us. So just like the the water that fish are in, if that's toxic, fish can't thrive. If our conversations are toxic, it throws us into fight or flight. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. I am so excited to introduce you to both of our guests today. And before I get to talking about them and and telling you a little bit about their background, you know, leadership happens one conversation at a time. And that might be a conversation with an individual, might be a conversation with your team, it might be a conversation with your entire company or organization or community but leadership happens through conversation. Our guests today are experts with tons of experience and practical ways that we can make sure those conversations are worth having. Our guests are Jackie Stavros and Sherry Torres. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Jackie is a professor at the College of Business and Information Technology and an Appreciative Inquiry Advisor at the David L. Cooper Ryder Center for Appreciative Inquiry. She has more than 30 years of leadership, strategic planning and change management experience And Sherry Torres is CEO and lead catalyst of Collaborative by Design, consulting firm that helps organizations improve performance, retain talent, transform communication and culture, all of which we love here at Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Torres has more than 35 years of leadership, teamwork, strategic planning, culture transformation experience. And what I love and why I've asked them to be on the show today is that together Stavros and Torres have been researching, writing, consulting and speaking about today's topic since 1996. You're not going to get a deeper level of expertise on this topic. So what is it that we're talking about today? Our topic is appreciative inquiry. And this is a skill that I believe every leader, and I won't say there's a a thousand skills every leader must have. Appreciative inquiry is one of those that if you can make this a part of your leadership toolkit, everything gets better. And you're going to learn more about that. The name of their book is Conversations Worth Having, Using Appreciative Inquiry to Feel Productive and Meaningful Engagements, just coming out. Uh, Second edition. So that tells you a little bit about the power of this book. Uh, Being an author myself, not every book makes it to a second edition. So that tells you something there. Sherry, Jackie, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank Thank you. you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. What a great set. Setting the scene. Thank you, David. You're very welcome. And I'm I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Before we dive into appreciative inquiry, I want to ask both of you, if you would, and uh, Jackie, I'll I'll ask you to go first, Mm -hmm. uh, to take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Gosh, the earliest memory of myself as a leader. Um, It would probably be, I was 14 and I was at the YMCA in my senior life-saving class. So that would be my earliest memory of being a leader. What happened? (laughs) Well, I was the smallest person in the course. And um, people said, if she can get her senior life savings card, any of us can get it. So you were an inspiration. Yeah, and it was it was just the 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 focus, the determination, and always having to practice, practice, practice all the life saving techniques so that I could not be perfect, but perfect them and know that at the end of the day, <laughs> I would tell the other lifeguards, our job is not to jump into the water, even though we learned how to jump into the water and save people, is to try to prevent accidents before they happened. I love that. that <laughs> we had a guest recently who called that fire prevention as opposed to firefighting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, 
Love it. All right. So mastering and getting the credibility and those skill set. Uh, Sherry, how about you? So I'm going to share just what came to mind for me. I think I was about nine or 10 and we were going from Concord, Massachusetts into Boston, Massachusetts with guests. And I'd been in the backseat driving that way many, many times with my family because my grandparents lived in Boston. And my sister, who's five years older than me, hopped into the car with my parents and my father said, oh, Sherry can go with you in the other car. She knows how to get there. I just said, okay, yeah, I know how to get there. (laughs) (laughs) And we actually managed to get there, but it was not by leading in a normal way of knowing what the highways and the roads were. I was paying attention to what I could see out the back window. And I'm like, we're going to turn right up here. Oh, I love we, that. There's that building over there. We need to get over near that. And we arrived about two minutes after my parents arrived. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. I've never heard of uh, rear window navigation. That <laughs> might be the title of your next book. <laughs> but I think there's a principle in there, too, that that taps into and feeds some of what we're talking about today and drawing on the strength that's available and, and the things that are known. Uh, It's fantastic. So we'll get into more of that. All right. So let's get into talking about Appreciative Inquiry and your book, Conversations Worth Having, Using Appreciative Inquiry to Fuel Productive and Meaningful Engagements. As I said in our intro, I mean, conversation is everything. Leadership is, it really feels like just one giant exercise often in communication and, and conversation. And, and I know that you are believers that everything we do begins with conversations and that those conversations determine everything. Let's dive into that a little bit. When you're talking about the power of conversation and why you have focused your life's work here in the way that you have, why is it so important? I would start with, if you could imagine this, those of you listening, how, how many hours in your waking moments do you spend having conversations in your head and with other people through email communications and social media? It's, it's probably the answers we get, but just write that down. It's anywhere from 90 and we get over 100% of people's waking hours that you're in conversations with self and others. And one of the, one of the reasons it's really important to note that is that conversations They're like the water in which fish swim, always going on, and we're usually not conscious of them, even though we're the ones speaking. But those words have a powerful neurophysiological effect on us. So just like the the water that fish are in, if that's toxic, fish can't thrive. If our conversations are toxic, it throws us into fight or flight the neurochemicals that are dumped into our system impact our nervous system, our health, our well-being, um, our ability to connect with each other. Um, and every conversation is always moving us in either the direction to connect with other people or to disconnect and to pull back and defend. And so conversations are literally, they're the air that we breathe, they're the water that we're swimming in, they are the the fuel, the energy, the substance of our leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I know that, that what we're talking about ultimately today helps to strengthen, if, if, if we can master these tools in this approach, uh, to strengthen relationships and create positive change, dramatically improve outcomes uh, for our teams, for our workplaces, our organizations, um, more creativity, productivity, all of the things <laughs> that we want, right? Yep. These are huge promises, but because we're talking about something as fundamental as the air we breathe and the water we're swimming in, that's the power that it has if we can master this. So before we get to specifically appreciative inquiry, that is one kind, an appreciative kind of question conversation is one type of conversation. And you have a a two axis process graphic here. We talk about four different kinds of conversations that we might find ourselves in. Can Let's run through that a little bit before we then spend the rest of our time on specifically what the appreciative inquiry looks like. Sure. If you can, uh, for the listeners, if you can imagine a horizontal line in front of you 
and a vertical line running through that. So you have two axes. The vertical line would be on the top would be a, you'd put appreciative. And those are conversations that add value. And on the bottom would be depreciative. Those are conversations that devalue people or situations. And then to the left or the right, you would have statement-based conversations or inquiry-based conversations. And the conversations that are below that horizontal line are depreciative conversations that are either statement-based or inquiry-based. They're almost never worth having because they devalue people, they devalue situations. They are typically laced with judgment, um, shame, blame, fear, defensiveness. Um, above the line, you have affirmative conversations and conversations worth having. And when you're above the line, there's a tendency to be more open, more curious, more interested. You're able to connect with people. And what we have found um, exciting and fascinating is that um, that little graphic that we came up with for our first edition matches, it overlays perfectly with a graphic from Conscious Leadership, the Conscious Leadership Group, which talks about um, as a leader, knowing whether you're above the line where you can be creative and open and connect and innovative or below the line where you're defending and um, and it's fear-based. So it's we want people above the line and ideally over on the quadrant where you're adding value and you're asking questions. So let's take a little bit deeper dive into that so I can intuitively follow where you're going. If we can, and we're not going to camp out here because we don't want to be depreciative, but I think it would help if we could get a couple examples of, of a statement-based or, or question-based that's depreciative. What are we talking, what would be a, a practical, specific example of that kind of conversation? I can put my professor hat on or my management hat on. And if you give me a report, David, and I say, this is late, this is wrong, you didn't follow the instructions, I need you to redo this. Um, I put you in a protect mode, didn't help you move forward. You probably walk out and want to just put that at the bottom of your pile, but you don't know how to move and you're already in protect mode. And if I try to tell you how to move, you're probably not going to listen to me. Um, so that's very statement based. It's critical and I haven't helped you. If you gave me a report and I still in my mind thinking this is all wrong is, and I said to you, so David, um, let's talk about what's going on right in this report and what needs to happen and what other questions you might have. And so I began to get the best report out of you and I'm helping you move forward. And there's an exchange going by and I might say, so tell me why you did it this way. And we can have a conversation that's going back and forth and that's appreciative and adding value to the situation. It, it opens somebody up as opposed to closing them down. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, uh, a, a depreciative question might be, uh, what were you thinking? Oh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. It's a question, but it's depreciative. It's going to shut me down. I'm not, we're not really having a conversation at that point. Yeah. You can, right. and you can, you can know yourself. If you are asking somebody a question and you have an agenda or a judgment going on, when you ask that question, you know, you're below the line. <laughs> And you know, you, and you say in the book that the practice of asking what I know you're going to get to this in a little bit about generative questions, but it's really about curiosity. It's an attitude of curiosity. Are we genuinely approaching our relationships, our leadership, our our team with curiosity, as opposed to and sometimes the very human frustrations that we feel? Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. So. All right, that's where we're going. We're going above the line. We've got some a couple of specific examples. So we're going to talk about how to get there. You've got some very specific steps, process that we can follow through to get there. Um, well, let's just start with the model. Let's just at the treetop level, what are the steps we're going to take? And then we can dive in and walk through those. So Sherry was talking about above and below the line. So the two practices are generative questions and positive framing. But before you get into the two practices, it's really important that you tune in and you be very intentional about where you are yourself. Are you above or below the line? And when you tune in, we offer a technique that you just need to literally pause, breathe, 
and get curious. And you've said the word curious. And as Sherry talked about the body mindset is when you breathe, it automatically, even if you're below the line, the act of breathing brings you to the line and eventually the curiosity, you are above the line. So that tuning in um, and you will feel when you're below the line, the pause, breathe and get curious. It's just a simple technique that we just need to make it a natural habit. Once you get there, then there's the two practices that you can begin to use. Let's just pause there for a moment because mm-hmm. I, I was sharing, Jackie, uh, before uh, Sherry, before you came on the, the call pre-show, we were just chatting about background with appreciative inquiry. And I had a team member of mine point out something I was doing and tell me, oh, that was great appreciative inquiry. I wasn't familiar with the phrase back then. And so I had a lot of learning to do. One of the observations that that has been important for me is this tuning in moment I can't do appreciative inquiry without it because I get frustrated. Something didn't go the way that we're on a deadline. I'm like, why didn't this happen? Right. You know, and it might be that it's my fault or it might be the other person made a mistake, or it might be that the system needed to be addressed or who knows, right. All the different things that we might look at, but if I can't take that breath Mm -hmm. and, and come to that conversation and that energy, we're just not going to be able to move forward. Yeah, I think part of what happens when you when you take that breath, you pause and take that breath, is it it makes you aware that you're swimming in the water. It makes you aware of the conversation you're about to have. And so you can be at choice instead of being driven by all the assumptions and biases and the emotional reactions, you choose your words. And then you can yeah. choose to use appreciative inquiry as opposed to just blah. Yeah. And in, unless it's a life or death situation, you have time to pause, breathe and get curious. You really do. It doesn't and take very long. It doesn't, it doesn't take very long. And I, I laugh my uh, daughter, if she listens to this, she's, she's quite grown an adult now, but when she was a, a, a younger girl, I remember we would have these moments where something would be flying at her head and I would yell duck and, you know, statement based didn't work for her because she would turn and say, why and, poof, and <laughs> get hit in the head right and you know it's funny as often as we think declarative statement-based life or death situations uh, that approach is going to work yes there are times but not near as many as we might think it's <laughs> probably true uh I, I i still will tell that story sometimes at thanksgivings and things it's a, it's a fun one fun memory all right so to be in the driver's seat of our conversations we've got to tune into ourselves Tune into the world uh, that's inside of us and what's happening. Take the breath, ground ourselves, center ourselves, and deliberately look for the conversation that's worth having. Once we've done that, now we're going to get into the two steps that you mentioned earlier. We've got uh, generative. Uh, help me with the phrase. You said generative and reframing. So I know I'm, I'm getting close. Generative questions and positive framing or right. reframing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Generative questions and positive framing. Let's start with generative questions. What the heck is a generative question? A a generative question in its simplest form widens the screen for you. So if you think that we we approach the world through our worldview with our um, preconceived ideas, our biases, all of that. And a generative question broadens that. Um, it widens it for us so that we can take in more of the world, we can take in more of other people, more of a situation, and they do that by making the invisible visible. For example, um, I might say, well, how do you see it? Or how is this new policy going to impact your ability to do your job? So that's, it's widening the screen. It's making the invisible visible. I might know how it's going to change things for me, but not for you. Generative questions create shared understanding. So in a group of people, we might ask everybody, you know, what's your highest hope for this and yours and yours? And how do we create this kind of a shared direction we're all moving in? And also a generative question can generate new knowledge. I wonder how they do it over at organization X. Oh, I have a friend who works over there. 
oh, wonderful. Could you ask them, what do they do and what's working? So that, that can generate new information for us. Um, and then finally, generative questions can inspire possibilities. You know, what's possible now? Or what if we did X, what would be possible? What if, what if we threw out all the rules and all our assumptions and we started over? How would we redesign this? And basically, once when you widen the screen and you, you do all these things with, a, with generative questions, it changes the way we think and it changes what's possible for us. It changes the images that we have about possibilities. And that changes everything. I, I'm going to just add another one question, I, which Sherry said my favorite question is um, it's the wish question. Um, as managers, we have people coming. I don't like this. I don't want this. I don't want that, you know, and and I will literally write down everything they don't like and want. And then I'll again, I'll, I'll pause and I'll get curious to say, so tell me what you do want. Mm -hmm. And they'll give me a funny look. I said, look, you told me everything you don't want. But tell me what your wishes are. And sometimes people aren't be aren't used to having a generative question. So, so sometimes you have to ask the question twice and just listen for them to share what their wishes are. It's such a powerful uh, set of questions. I've even found that particular question, Jackie, that the wish question for myself, when I'm in a complain mode, you know, you have one of those days and you're just like, I'm complain, <laughs> yeah. complain, complain. And then it's like, you know, when your higher self says, well, fine, David, you don't like all this. What do you want? Oh. Yeah. Oh, and sometimes the answer is, you know, I don't really want anything. I just needed to did complain. Yes. Here. I'm good. <laughs> or, or I don't know what I want. What? I just know what I don't want. <laughs> yeah. But asking that, what do you want question is so powerful. And, it, and the transformer, you know, it's that whole thing about our brains find what we're looking for. Right. And if yes, we're, if we're focused on the problem and we're focused on the obstacles and the roadblocks, that's what we're going to find. And it, you know, it's not foo foo woo woo. I am a obstacle solver. That's how I'm wired. Like, give me the obstacles. We're gonna solve these and figure them out. And they're real. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you can't solve things if you're not asking the how can we question if the or what might we do or how can we explore here and generating possibilities. Right, and you're and you're also guaranteeing that you're gonna try to solve those obstacles with what you know from the past. And many of those obstacles cannot be solved from what's in the past <laughs> these days. All right. Let's, so that's generative questions. Let's go to positive framing and then let's put these together, but we'll start working through it. So outline positive framing for us. So I um, think a positive framing is going to um, draw people into the conversation. And with positive framing, it's name it, flip it, frame it. So you would name name the problem. And um, one that we talk about in our book and that a lot of people have, um, Melissa is late to meetings. That's the problem. She's always late to our Wednesday morning meeting. So if you flip it, you say Melissa is on time to our Wednesday morning meeting. Um, and when you frame it, you say, if the positive opposite was true, the flip, what is it that we really want to talk about? And it's not about Melissa being late on Wednesday mornings. It's about how do we build a cohesive team? And what does a cohesive team look like? And Melissa is part of this conversation. And so is the person who thought that was the problem in the other team members. And when they had this converse, this real conversation, what happened is um, Mark, the manager, never thought to ask, when is the best time of the week that we all meet as a team? He just picked Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. And, and Melissa in the conversation said, I could meet at 8.30 on Wednesdays or 8 a.m. any other day of the week. And then he realized he should have probably checked with the team when is the best time to meet. But more important, how do we build a cohesive team? And kind of if you boil positive framing down, it's it's using a frame to talk about what you want instead of what you don't want. It's let's move towards what we want instead of either trying to fix what we don't want or move away from what we don't want. Where are we going? And and the the flip, which Jackie just illustrated beautifully is a, a technique we um, we offer up for being able to take a negative situation and um, and flip it into a positive frame or a generative frame. And this to me is one of the areas where there's a lot of work to do. This is not a natural way of thinking. And what I mm -hmm. think I want 
may not be what I actually want. And this process is so important because, you know, it's easy for, you know, and I've known many leaders and I've been this type of manager myself from time to time where, what do I want? I just want people to be on time, you know, and that might be the, the flip. The response again is like, okay, now I got to take another breath and, and center myself again. So I want, you know, I'm going to tune in again. All right. What is it I really want? What do I truly want? Well, it's not about this specific moment of being on time. It's all right. I, I, the way that you said it, Jackie was, I want the team to be together and solve these problems and we're, we're, we can rely on each other and all right, that's what I really want. Okay. That opens the door to start having other conversations. If mm -hmm. I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah. How do we build a cohesive team? And we may talk about the importance of being on time and we might talk about deadlines and we might talk about sharing resources. So, so imagine we call it an opportunity tree. Every leaf is a conversation that builds the foundation of a cohesive team. So are there places in the, this process of, of positive framing or renaming it, flipping it and framing it? Are there places where that's not appropriate? where there are strategic objectives, uh, you know, the way, you know, I like to talk about the colors of the logo. Uh, I don't really have a lot of choice about the colors of the logo. That's, you know, it's kind of set, you know, that sort of thing, or, you know, I can't flip the, the logo, those sorts of issues. Uh, where is it appropriate? And is, are there any places where it's not appropriate or is it always appropriate? That's a, that's a great question. I'm I'm going to say two things come to my mind. And, and this was a quote I heard by David Cooper writer saying um, that if you believe in your people and you believe that they in and through their conversations, that they are the way, then this is a really good approach. Um, so you have to believe that the answers are in the conversations you need to be having with their people. Um, where it may not work is in an emergency situation. Um, I've been on a plane once that had to be evacuated. There was nothing mm. to appreciate. There were no questions. We listened <laughs> to the pilot and we got off that plane before it filled up with smoke. There was nothing, you know, that was mechanical. And in mechanical situations, you need the directives to keep people safe. So even in that, I wonder, I have not been a part of these, these processes, but I have to wonder if there wasn't appreciative inquiry type discussions that go into the planning of what do we do? What is the process and procedure going to be when we're evacuating an airplane? Right. And based on these situations, what worked? What did we discover? What happened? Oh, and what's possible? And how quickly can we get people, right? There's all of that that went into the plan. And then when it happens, we need to implement we just the plan. Execute. <laughs> you execute. But you're absolutely right. I we worked with a healthcare system that had 36 steps to get a person from stepping into the ER onto a bed. And when they had conversations about how do we most effectively get them through triage of the bed, they got it down to like six steps that were really important. I was, I was just going to say, yes, it makes a difference. I also wanted to just respond to your question about when, when might it not be appropriate to, to flip and frame. And it's, we strongly recommend using generative questions even before you flip in order to make sure the problem I've named or the issue that I've named, is that really the issue? And so again, widening the screen and bringing more people in to, to say, you know, how do you see it? And it, it happened in the course of the conversation with Melissa and being late when he finally asked her what, why are you always late? What's going on there? And that question widened the screen of that's the only day of the week that I take my child, I have to drop my child off because my husband can't. Um, and it's like, oh, so time is not the problem we need to address. Um, and so I think sometimes uh, you can dive too quickly into name it, flip it, frame it. Um, so naming it and exploring it enough to know, yes, this is the issue. Um, and does it need to be flipped and reframed? I mean, to, to your point, the logo, maybe it does need to be changed. Um, so if the logo doesn't work, the flipping is the logo does work. But what is the frame for the conversation about a new logo is 
is a very different story. And perhaps that work and that the, all of those questions again happened earlier and now we're implementing the plan with that logo until we do another round of those kinds of questions. Yes. You know, as, as you're talking, uh, longtime listeners of the show are going to recognize. Uh, so our, we have a method for performance management conversations where performance isn't where it needs to be and describing the, the challenge here. And then, and then asking, and Sherry, you said it word for word, what's going on? How does this look from your perspective, right? Inviting the other person genuinely with a sense of curiosity into the conversation. So you actually find out what's going on because it might not be at all what you thought was going on. Yeah. The notion that you get at in the book and conversations worth having of opening your perspective. There are so many different applications and different ways this can look. One of my favorite is the story that you tell about the gentleman, um, what was his name, Jerry, who goes to Southeast Asia, I don't remember what country it was, uh, to look at, to Vietnam. South, South Vietnam. Yeah, and to look at uh, malnourished children and how to help them and, you know, what a big complex problem. Yep. And then we find out in the story, the setup is he's got like, what, like six months? Six. Yep. <laughs> to try to solve, like, you can't solve something that systemic in six months, or can you? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, because I, I, I think everybody can relate to having these problems and challenges that feel overwhelming. Even if I've never had to solve mal malnourished children in a, in a whole country, whatever my leadership responsibilities are, I can certainly empathize with these kinds of time sensitive challenges. Can you walk us through what were some of the challenges approach and how appreciative inquiry might work in situations like these? Sure. Um, as you mentioned, Jerry lands in, in uh, South Vietnam, and he actually came prepared to spend three to six years doing oh, wow. some traditional work on making sure they had fresh water and knew how to plant crops. And the one of the government officials did not want, this was Save the Children, who sent him, and they did not want him there. So he said, okay, you've been allowed in, you have six months. And he was like, okay, well, we're going to scrap my original plan. <laughs> um, and he, he began to ask questions like, I wonder if there are any children that are thriving in these villages. Um, and that's when he thought he would bring together a group of mothers from a variety of villages and ask them to go out and do that research and come back with the data. And sure enough, in almost every village, there were um, children who were thriving. They were taller, they were healthier. What in, in organizational development in the organizational world, it's called positive deviance. You look for what's working and then you go in and you find out what are these mothers doing with these children that is supporting them. And he found some really simple things like, Sweet potatoes was a staple and only the very poorest of the poor would eat the greens. But these mothers somehow knew that the greens were important. So they fed their children the greens and they didn't care about whether or not it left an image of being very poor. Um, and they also fed their children four times a day instead of three. Um, they fed them if the children couldn't feed themselves and they they put crustaceans in the children's um, uh, food. So kids were getting um, greens, they were getting proteins, and they were getting consistent f f meals all day long. And that was the only difference. And so he, the, for him, the answer was simple. He had those mothers train all the other mothers and he left in six months. But what he did was spot positive deviance, go in and research it, and then fan the flames and any organization can do the same thing where's the positive deviance in our organization let's go research that that's where ai comes in you know what are you doing that's working what are the conditions um etc and then let's go replicate that across the organization and that replicate across the organization aspect in courageous cultures we talk about practice the principle and find mm -hmm. out what is the principle underneath right. It may not be the surface behavior. It may be the thing that's underneath it that that is replicable in different contexts. I just love that example so much because it's it's so reproducible. 
you got a problem or, or a challenge you're looking to solve somewhere something's happening right yeah let's build, <laughs> let's let's find out and build on that uh in, uh listeners of the show appreciate uh, karen often shares a story where she was leading a huge sales team at verizon uh, when the iphone first came out and verizon didn't have rights to the iphone so her whole sales team was demoralized and she had no sales experience <laughs> but she knew appreciative inquiry <laughs> and she, she said, somebody's gotta be selling something. And she said, let me talk to our top 20 sales folks and let's find out who they are. And she said, so yeah, talk to me. How do you do this? What are you, what are you doing? And she watched them. And there was one guy who was just asking everybody who came in, you know, where do you work? And they were coming in to switch their, <laughs> their old flip phone for an iPhone. Uh, so they could get rid of it and move, go over to another company. And by asking where they worked, he found out who had small businesses, who owned their own business, and they liked the reliability of some of the other phones at that point. And he was making a ton of money. And she was able to build on that and got the whole sales team involved. It's a great success story. But that power of those positive deviants you're talking about of finding, hey, what's working? How can we That's build something. on that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Just love that. And it doesn't even have to be in your own organization. You can go look what's what's working someplace else. I am I am curious as you're talking about generative questions and positive framing. If there are, I, I don't want to say an easy button, but as I'm going through my day and you know all the things I'm juggling, and I and I like, oh gosh, okay. I, I really do want to practice appreciative inquiry here. I, and I've, I've taken my breath. <laughs> I've taken my breath. What are some of the questions that I might start with for myself even that will help me approach other people, my team relationships in an appreciative mindset? Gosh, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking the top the questions that you ask in your mind or you ask with others. Um, start, About start inside. I I'm just talking to myself here first before I mm -hmm. go and have that conversation. Uh, are there things that I might, you know, like ask myself that I might say, what is, you know, like you were saying, what do you really want? Uh, you know, that might be one, but I'm curious if there are, are, can we do some appreciative inquiry inside first before we go to our teams? Absolutely. And, you know, when I find myself in that, in an awful moment, um, I ask myself, you know, what's going on? What's really going on? What are the facts here? And that's my first, my first thing and saying, what do I really want to happen? And what are my wishes? And what do I want more of before I begin engaging in the conversation with with someone else? Yeah, I, I think asking yourself, where am I above mm -hmm. or below the line? Um, and I think also when you're starting to ask yourself these questions, I would just like when you're asking other people, be genuinely curious and not, all right, I'm going to ask myself these questions because I'm trying to get out of the mood I'm in, or I'm trying to get a, it's wherever you are is okay and mm -hmm. make it okay. And then to look at, so what, what's going on for me that I'm here. Um, and if you get curious often, you know, I, for me, I can give my, myself as an example, I haven't had a glass of water for four hours. I'm probably a little dehydrated. That's, or I've been at my computer for six hours and I haven't stood up. And another question, other kinds of questions you can ask yourself if it's not about being in a, um, in a below the line space um, is, you know, do I really need to say this? Um, or what's, what is the situation calling for? Um, what, what am I making up? here and what's really happening mm. um I, or i wonder if i wonder if that person meant what i actually how i interpreted it probably not i better ask um the other thing i want to add is um you know managers and leaders have we have to-do lists right sherry and i were sharing to-do lists this morning <laughs> you should show them yours um and and we're good at that but you also need what i call a to-be list or you know what do I need to be to step into this situation with you? Do I need to be more patient and understanding? But you just, you begin to ask yourself, how do I need to behave? You know, what's really going on here? One of the, the questions that you mentioned in the book 
as we've done those types of questions, that was a good list to start with that I can ask myself to kind of get into the being state I want to be in, mm -hmm. Jackie, as you said, is then as I'm getting into the generative question mode is to, to say like, what is a value? Uh, what's going to add value? I find that to be a really helpful question as I start the interaction with other people. And I think that, you know, in many ways, that's at the heart of the generative questions. Are we trying to add value? Is this question going to add value? Well, yes. let me start by just saying, what's actually of value here? Right. You know, and that gets you, I think if we ask that enough times, that helps drive us to the, what is it we really want? Yes. I, I think that's also key when making the comparison between a generative question and a positive question. There are people often think, oh, appreciative inquiry, that's about being positive all the time. And it's not, it's about adding value. And a generative question can sometimes look like you are, you're like opening up the can of worms because you're asking into somebody's story of pain and struggle. But if that adds value by allowing them to share their story and feel heard and seen, that's the place to start. Such a powerful dynamic. It, it, I mean, you, you're taking all of the fetters and the constraints and everything off of your team and, and your relationships if, we, if you can do that as a leader. Yeah. Yes. And, and it can require you to be vulnerable. That can be a big one for leaders. Uh, but when, when leaders become vulnerable, they empower other people to open up and become vulnerable also. And when you have people who are genuine, vulnerable, and curious with each other, there's almost nothing that will stop you. Great point, Sherry. I'm, I'm just smiling. Uh, you're listening to the show, but listeners, if you can see my face, I am smiling because we've hit, I don't know, somewhere in the 40-ish minute mark. And it seems to me there is a trend on this show that whenever we have guests at about the 40-minute mark, somebody says, and you have to be vulnerable. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what topic we're talking about, you know, that it comes back to that. If we're talking about true human-centered leadership, there is a vulnerability that it requires and, and stepping into that and being comfortable with all that that entails. And perhaps it's because your soul can't be seen if you're not vulnerable enough to be open. Yeah. If you, if you want people's hearts engaged in the work, they sure got to see yours too, right? Exactly. All right. I have one more question I'd like to, to ask you, but before I go there, uh, can you tell us where we can connect with you, where we can find, we'll get all these links in the, in the show notes, but where do we find the book? Where do we find you? Sure. You just go to um, cwh.today where you can spell it out, conversations worth having dot today. But CWH today, you go to our website, you can download the preface, the introduction of the um, second edition. We have a toolkit. We have a list of generative questions. We've got an amazing blog that has all kinds of situations that you have probably heard of, and you can see the types of questions and framing used. But yeah, we encourage you to just go to the website at cwh.today. Really encourage you to do that. The, uh, the list of questions, all the different scenarios, uh, and it's one of these things that if, if as you're listening, going, yeah, I, I get that. I want to do that. But, oh, gosh, what I do here, what I do here, what I do here. There are so many resources to help you. I uh, definitely encourage you to do that. And I'm just going to say, if you download that preface and introduction, you're just going to want to get the book. So just go get the book. <laughs> yeah, we do have eight different ways to get the book from the website. Yes. Conversations <laughs> worth having using appreciative inquiry to fuel productive and meaningful engagement. Everything gets better when we're asking the right questions, when we're having the right conversations. Let's talk about polarization. And <laughs> I know this is a topic that, that you both care about. Uh, and yeah. oh. there, are, there are so many different ways in which polarization can happen and in our world and social media and all that. There's reasons for it, all that. But let's say we're finding ourselves with uh, a colleague or with a family member or in life, and the, this is what's happening. How can appreciative inquiry help us in these these instances? I'll venture out first, Jackie. I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it is often when we are polarized, we are wanting to convince other people to to understand why they need to come over to the light, <laughs> um, regardless of what side you're on. And if we can 
in that pause and taking a breath, um, imagine that, that we are really closer to each other than we imagine in our humanity. And if we can, instead of fix, fixing ourselves in our positions, really get curious, not from a place of, of arguing with the other person's perspectives, but how they came to have those perspectives and how those, um, how those perspectives um, support them. Or um, uh, if there's a particular topic to be asking into, what is it that you would really like to have happen? No, I know what you don't want to do, but what do you want to do? Um, and somewhere in that, often you can find common ground around, mm -hmm. oh, that's what I want too. How can we get there? Um, or even after listening um, to ask the question of, um, I was just I'm almost done with uh, Adam Grant's new book, um, Think Again. And he, he, said, he, he has a question that he asks, what would it take for you to question the way you're thinking? Wow. Not to change your mind, but to just to question the way you're thinking. Jackie, what do you say? I, I think you said it um, beautifully, Sherry. I, I can't think of anything else to add. It's um, when you're curious, you genuinely lean into the conversation and you're there to understand their perspective, not to judge, but to understand and that you have a perspective. Taking that to the next level, because I, I know that there are, are listeners who, they've written in with some of these questions and some of these challenges before, where let's say that I'm having those conversations and you know I'm not, I'm seeking to understand, but I really am not feeling any reciprocity in that. And, mm -hmm. and the even, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but some of these times, some of these conversations, it seems really challenging mm -hmm. where you have those kinds of, of situations. And I'm curious if, I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to make sure that we're, we're being real in some of the outcomes here. And yeah. it's not panacea. It's this is, this puts all of the, the percentage of successful outcomes in your favor and in favor of the relationship and in favor of connection, but not a specific outcome. I think if you can hold at the center of your, your engagement with the other person, respecting the person for their beliefs, even though they may be completely diametrical to yours, they're totally the opposite, but to respect the other person as a human being with a set of beliefs that for whatever reason, they are holding. And if that person feels respected and seen um, and really heard when you engage with them, um, rather than waiting, you know, once you've gotten to the end and you feel like, you know, I, I, I do understand what you're talking about. I understand all of that. I think to ask the question, um, would you be interested in learning more about where I'm coming from so that you can understand my point of view without any attachment to the answer. Yes. Um, and no judgment if the person says, actually, no, I don't care. Um, and then you don't share. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, and some of those conversations, there is no converse, there's no meeting because the other person doesn't have an interest in meeting. But I, I, I have to think, because of my beliefs in humanity, <laughs> that when people are not feeling defensive and they're not feeling like they have to like argue for their case and they really feel heard and seen and respected and not judged, that they soften. And they're like, yeah, you can share with me. The hardest thing I think for people is to not you know, hear something and then judge the other person and then they immediately drop below the line and now they're no longer in a conversation where they're not in a conversation worth having. And that's the critical part. It's the conversation yeah. worth having. You know, the, the things that you were talking about in terms of does the other person feel seen, respected, and heard? And it's so easy for all of us to go to our corners and say, well, I'm not feeling seen, respected, or heard. 
someone has to take the initiative. And that, right. in my mind, is what leaders do. Yes. Is if you're listening to this show and you want to, leadership without losing your soul, human-centered leadership, you've got to be the one to take the initiative mm-hmm. and approach people in that mindset. And I'm not I think, saying, yeah, go ahead, Jackie. No, and I think what's really critical, what you're saying there is it doesn't matter who started the polarization you can be the person to ask for that do-over conversation and say, let's have this conversation again. Yeah. And you can, and we, and we also talk about the importance of a do-over. It doesn't matter who started the, the bad conversation, but to step forward and say, let's have this conversation again. And by the way, I know the word polarization automatically brings to mind like political things or vaccine things or any of that kind of like, yep. we, can, we can, we polarize about everything. Like we do. Who took out the trash or didn't take out the we trash. Got the trash. <laughs> you know, I mean, all of it is uh, all the things. So this, this principle that you're talking about is a way that we can re-engage with one another and overcome those barriers that we erect in these kinds of situations whether it's, you know, we're at odds with the department across the, the virtual hall at this point or uh, our spouse or whoever it might be, our boss. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think if, if those who are listening can remember, if, if the words coming out of your mouth drive someone below the line, they are going to go into fight or flight and be defensive or they're going to attack. And, and that's just, you can bank on it. And so what calls people to come above the line is just that sense of, again, feeling seen, not being threatened. Their sense of belonging is not threatened. Uh, Yeah, not feeling judged. And you you can watch it in the body language when it happens and you can feel it in your own body when you, Mm -hmm. when it happens. So just keep pause, take a deep breath and like, oh, what did I, where did, where did I just go? <laughs> there, there are so, I, I, I just love this topic so much. And Jackie and Sherry, I'm enjoying our, our time together and I'm recognizing we are over time and I want to make mm-hmm. sure I'm honoring your time. So, you know, I have so many more questions, but I'm going to tell, tell you listeners, get the book. It is a fantastic resource uh, to dive into. You don't master appreciative inquiry in 10 minutes. The practices are simple to explain. You've got them. Now it's a matter of implementing, practicing, and it's not always going to work the first, second, third time, but it's one of those things we build muscle memory about it. We pick ourselves back up. We ask ourselves that question, well, what I do well, what can I build on and and keep going? Jackie, Sherry, thank you so much for being guests on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. It's been a real pleasure. It has. Thank you so much for inviting us on. Yeah. Thank you for having us, David. Absolutely. Well, thank you for helping us and all of our audience to make the invisible visible, create shared understanding, generate new knowledge, inspire possibilities, improve our teams, our own leadership, our influence. Listeners, be the leader you want your boss to be. We'll see you next time. (laughs) This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.